interest rates, energy bills, temperature. It seems that everything is going up, including the demand for new homes. But can these new homes solve some old problems? Hello, I'm Gavin Human. This is Home to Home. Each episode, we'll take a look at different aspects of owning your own home, from the buying and selling through to home improvements, and speaking to the people that can help. Some estimates say that loft insulation is lacking in 5 million homes and cavity insulation in 8 million homes in the UK. Yet it has recently emerged that in 2013, a change in government support meant that homes being insulated dropped by 90%. Had those homes been insulated, we'd be using roughly 10% lower gas today and the average household bill would be 350 to £400 lower from this October. Whoever pays for it, it is clear that we need to better insulate our homes. Not only does this have the advantage of meaning we use less energy, thus helping the environment, but we also save money too. One solution seems to be that homes should be better insulated when they are built. After all, you don't buy a car and then add windows yourself. Usually, the claim we hear when these type of ideas are brought forward is that it's too expensive or it's not practical when we need so many new homes. So let's hear from someone who has made this something of a personal and professional mission. I'm Carl Taylor. I work for Green Square Accord, producing high quality, affordable, low carbon, uh, new build housing. So what is Green Square Accord? And how is it different from other builders? Green Square Accord is a large regional housing association providing housing for people in need. Uh, Over the last 20 years, we've gone on a journey uh, where we've started to look at environmental housing, uh, opened our own factory, uh, created low carbon housing as a standard, and have now moved on with our latest developments to look if we can use more natural materials that are Uh, uh, beneficial to the planet and have a use after their initial life. I was curious as to what prompted this commitment to sustainable regeneration. The change to environmental housing to a more sustainable low carbon housing was one that was prompted by uh, a concern for our residents to make sure that their uh, fuel bills would be as low as possible uh, was one that was prompted also by uh, making sure that we were as an organisation Uh, ready to withstand the changes that climate change would have an impact on the business over the longer term. The the, the change to more sustainable materials was we realised that we'd made this change and we were producing really good quality, uh, affordable, low-carbon housing. Uh, But in doing so, we were wrapping people in plastic. And back at the days before COVID, uh, uh, our office was and is in West Bromwich just by junction one of the M5, and they did some big roadworks on the M5. So myself and the rest of our senior management team at the time spent a long time sat uh, on the M5 waiting for the traffic to clear. uh, And in front of our noses every day was a Marine Conservation Society poster showing various ills that plastic were doing to our planet. And we thought, well, we have done something about the carbon in our house. Now let's see if we can do something about the plastic and use materials that are going to be more sustainable and more beneficial to the planet. But what about the cost? Surely this will cost extra money and this would make the business less profitable or is it passed on to the customer? That is usually the reason we hear against this type of approach. 
the way we approached our low carbon housing was to go on a journey which resulted in us opening a factory uh, so that we were producing our own timber frame panels in a modern production facility, getting much better quality housing than we would otherwise do. And by opening our own factory and taking the service in house, we were managing to deliver that low carbon housing for the same cost as if we were building traditionally. We were also future-proofing ourselves by being in a much better position to withstand the changes that uh, the climate would impact upon our business over the next 20 years. Uh, and also the changes in the construction industry as we lose skilled labour uh, and ha don't have them able to replace them. Uh, we were future-proofing ourselves against that process. So we weren't spending more, uh, but we had some added benefits as well for the business by developing low-carbon housing in that way. Uh, it is true, though, that our latest development, the virtually plastic-free houses, where we stripped out the plastic from a house and tried to replace it with more natural and more robust materials uh, as a result of that, um, has been more expensive because we've used a lot more wood and a lot more metal than we would have used if we were building out of plastic in the building, and that's, that's more expensive. Uh, having said that, uh, we managed as an innovation project to get funding from uh, Interreg, uh, Northwest Europe, part of the European Union, uh, and, and that higher grant rate meant that it was no greater cost to the organisation than it would have been if we'd built uh, using our normal building methods. We dump over 13 million tonnes of plastic in the oceans and seas every year. It's easy to look around your home and see how much plastic there is. I asked Carl to talk to me more about their new groundbreaking virtually plastic-free homes? So, so, so the virtually plastic-free uh, homes are 12 uh, one-bedroom apartments in Redditch, just by the train station in Redditch. Uh, they are the UK and Europe's first virtually plastic-free houses. They're, they're not 100% plastic-free um, because there are areas where you need to have intermittent strips in order to expand an apartment block to protect against fire. Uh, and there's a little bit of plastic inside the actual sockets uh, for the electric supply, but wherever it's possible, we've stripped out plastic from the building and replaced it with more natural uh, elements. So, the, the, for example, the paint is graphene and lime rather than an acrylic-based paint, which is uh, used uh, almost universally in the construction industry these days. The, uh, the, the, the walls are timber and the insulation is blown glass rather than plastic. The uh, kitchen units are solid timber rather than the sort of MDF veneered plasticky stuff that we normally put in our properties. That sounds very damning of what we normally do. Uh, the uh, kitchen, the, the bathroom units are not um, plastic, but uh, ceramic. Uh, the flooring is marmolean rather than vinyl. Uh, the wiring that goes to the sockets is mineral insulated copper cable rather than plastic. And in other places, we've just abolished the need for plastic completely. So we've built uh, using timber frame rather than brick. So there's no plastic ties tying the two walls together in the cavity. The uh, door entry system, the, 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 the intercom system on the building uh, is a smart system. So there's no need for the plastic wires from the front door to every flat and the plastic box on the wall uh, for people to let, to, to let people in. EU funding, ah, right. Does this mean there is no funding for this type of work to continue? We're not going to get that EU funding anymore, uh, unfortunately. Uh, having said that, um, the, the the government is 
producing a whole set of funds at some point around the levelling up agenda uh, and around innovation. And, and, and I would hope that we would be able to do similar innovative things using those sorts of funding uh, in the future. One of the interesting aspects I'm finding through this podcast is people's approach to problem solving. And here it sounds like Carl has actually sought to tackle a problem head on, but a problem that is wider than just his business. Is this problem solving a fundamental part of who he is and an ethos of Green Square Accord? I suppose that's correct, yes. I think what actually happened was we'd been on quite a long-term journey around developing our housing to be net zero uh, carbon, about making sure that our homes were affordable for people to heat. Uh, And we thought, well, where's the next place to go with that? We can deliver and we know how to deliver affordable housing uh, that is Uh, zero carbon where's the next place to go and we thought well one of the things that's going to happen is if we are uh, moving away from fossil fuels and we are moving to uh, a carbon-free world then we have to do something about the byproducts of fossil fuels and plastic is clearly a key one Uh, and at the same time as we were having these thoughts we were also watching David Attenborough on the television telling us all of the evils of plastic uh, and listening to all the stuff about how the microbeads from paint leaches into our oceans and into our food chain supplies. So we thought, well, how would we do that and what we would do? And we thought we would start a conversation around the use of plastic in the construction industry uh, and about how we could perhaps move away from it over a longer term. And this was our first opening gambit on that process. Uh, we've, we, we're far from having all the solutions. In fact, we've probably asked ourselves more questions then we've got solutions as the as the result of going through this process. But at least we started that journey uh, and we can start that conversation uh, and hopefully it can move forward over the next uh, period of time until we reach a similar position where it's almost unthinkable. If you look at the construction industry over the last 10 years, it's moved a million miles in terms of its standards around carbon and the use of carbon in buildings. We need to have that similar conversation about embodied carbon in buildings and about the use of materials and them having a second life uh, afterwards about circularity in housing. Another key element of this is the need to think and look long term, to have a vision that isn't months into the future, but years into the future. For, for, for ourselves, it was a journey that probably started back in 2004. I have to say back in 2004, if somebody had told me we'd be building a virtually plastic free house out of a factory which we owned uh, in Warsaw, and that would be the result of our low carbon policy that we, we, we adopted, I would think that they were uh, crazy and I would think neither of those would be the outcomes. But that's the journey that we've taken and it's been taking it one step at a time. So where we went was we, we, we went on this journey of how do we sustainably produce low carbon housing? Once we answered that question, it prompted the question that we needed a factory to be able to do it affordably. So we went out and got ourselves a factory. Once we got the factory, it was now how do we refine that product to be the best and most sustainable product possible that gives the best service to our residents? And that started us to think about the specification of the building and what materials we put into it. Uh, And that started a conversation around plastic. Ultimately, this is for the benefit of the people who live in the houses that Carl helps to build. How interested are they in sustainable regeneration and green homes? Or are they just more interested in cost? Well, well, I think both, actually. I think they want nice, affordable homes, uh, but they also want low fuel bills and they want a nice living environment. Uh, And so, for example, the the journey we started 
resulted in us going to Norway to look at uh, close panel timber framed homes in 2008. And we took a couple of residents with us on that journey uh, in order to see what they thought of it, because the other experiments we'd looked at, they weren't, they weren't too keen. Uh, we took them to, to the Centre for Alternative Technology and some of the building technologies there, they weren't convinced about. And so we didn't adopt those uh, systems. Uh, and, and it was interesting that we had a conversation with them, uh, with those same residents about the virtually plastic free houses uh, in the process of the construction. So yes, we do involve our residents. Yes, they've been very involved in the process. In fact, they've even personalised their houses where possible uh, in this development. Uh, but at the same time, it's been a long-term journey that's continued on a direction with our residents helping to shape that journey at every step of the way. So just how much difference do these new buildings make to our energy bills? And how quickly do you notice this difference? Massively is, is, is the honest answer to that. If you look at all of the building science around how we get affordable low carbon homes, we have to insulate well, make the properties airtight, and then ventilate those properties well. And that's if, if we achieve that, we can minimise the sort of heating that we need to put in properties and the heating demand for properties. So um, the first phase is to build with really well insulated, super insulated timber frame properties with U-values that are really strong, really good. So it minimises the need for any sort of space heating in the property. Uh, in, in the UK climate, we can't get to the point where that demand is zero, but we can get it incredibly low. And then when it's incredibly low, uh, it's going to be much cheaper for people to heat the property, whatever heating system we've put in. Given that electric is uh, at the moment three times the cost of gas, it, it then gives us the chance of putting in something that isn't gas uh, as a property if the heating demand is going to be incredibly low. We've tried to overcome that price disparity in our virtually plastic free homes by using a solar thermal heating system. Uh, so the power of the sun will heat the hot water and the, heat, and, and the central heating system in the property with a backup um, electric boiler for uh, the most extreme of days but we suspect that will hardly be needed that the properties will produce heat at uh, anything above uh, four degrees but what you see first of all is when you walk into the common areas they are incredibly warm because there's a bank of hot water tanks uh, backing onto those uh, corridors so it makes a really really warm corridor I, I have to say uh, inside that super insulated space inside that building envelope and the properties were only finished this summer so we've not had the first winter so I can't tell you people's experiences the the low carbon houses that we've built traditionally I can tell you that people tell us that they need to use their heating system uh, for a half an hour uh, a year on the coldest day of the winter last year so when you've got that, that sort of performance uh, it gives you a bit more freedom to play with the heating system in order to produce something that is environmentally friendly but still affordable for people. So is this process becoming part of a standard practice with new homes being built? We are seeing building regulations significantly improve the fabric and performance of buildings uh, and so new buildings that are built now are much better in their performance than buildings that were built using the regulations that were in place from 2004 uh, onwards. So, so we have seen a significant improvement in building regulations. Uh, but having said that, they, they still don't get where we need to be uh, if we're going to have a zero carbon future and they still burn far too, they still require far too much carbon being burnt to keep people warm in the winter and, they, uh, and we can still go further uh, and be better in our building regulations to make sure that all buildings 
are carbon neutral and don't require a massive heating load demand on people, which then results in them having to use, uh, having to have great big gas and electricity bills. Are there any new initiatives or technology that we might see come along to help with our home building? The, the way the industry has moved at the moment is a massive push towards air source heat pumps. Uh, and, and, and I think that is problematic, I have to say, because um, in the sector of housing that I work, which is the affordable housing sector, 40% of the residents have token meters. And, and, and for an air source heat pump to work effectively, it needs a constant supply of electricity. And that's just not provided. And it's going to be even harder for people to provide in these times when fuel poverty is becoming almost universal uh, with the with the way fuel bills are going. So I think we need to find other things. Uh, and I think there's still experiments going on that. I think there's a lot of work being done around super insulating buildings, which has to be the first principles of whatever you do. Uh, and then linking that super insulated buildings with either solar PV battery powered systems that can be more cost effective uh, or alternatively as we've done in the virtually plastic building a solar thermal heating system how curious are other builders about this type of work and will we see more builders taking this greener approach we're certainly not on our own uh, i think that's fair to say and there's a whole sort of green sustainable housing building movement bubbling under the surface i think in in, in the uk but i think you're right in terms of the main uh, house builders in the UK, the sort of big six PLCs, then they still have their drive for uh, maximising the number of units, uh, maximising the sales price and minimising change in order to, 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 to produce their standard product. Uh, and I think we do need greater regulation to drive that and to move the industry forward on a more sustainable path to address the challenges that we face with climate change and with rising fuel costs, to be honest. Could the current situation perhaps drive this change to now happen more rapidly? I think the changes in fuel price certainly brings front and centre the issues around uh, sustainable building because the, the reality is that in order to build more sustainably, in order to bring in zero carbon housing, you have to adopt the same principles that you would adopt if you were trying to reduce people's fuel bills as much as possible. Uh, there hasn't been the focus on fuel bills for the last 10, 15 years, which which I've found strange, to be honest. The focus has been on how do we reduce carbon and save the planet. But the two move hand in hand. And I think that what we will see is a much more increased focus and discussion around how we reduce fuel bills in the construction process uh, for people. Uh, and, and at the same time, I also think we need to start to move on the conversation of once we start building houses which have minimal heating demand, how do we start to build products that have low carbon in their construction process as well, that have carbon that is a bank that can be reused and reused rather than a cost to our planet. How about those long-held goals of Carl and Green Square Accord? Are they close to achieving them? I think over those 18 years, we've moved a long, long way on the journey to making sure that all our houses are built uh, in a sustainable way in a in a low carbon way uh, having said that i still think there's further to go and i think the only thing that's stopping people is, is exactly that question around motivation uh, for big house builders that build housing for sale they don't see the benefits of their home uh, after they have sold it and they probably don't see much difference in price between building a low carbon house for somebody and a less environmentally friendly house for someone and therefore there's not the 
profit motive in it for them uh, and the need to change their business uh, in, in, in that shape and, and form. And therefore, I do think regulation is needed to take us on that journey because it is technically possible. It has been proven time and time again that we can build in a low carbon way. And I think the conversation now needs to move about whether we should do it to making sure it's done on every new house that's built and then starting the conversation around how do we reuse materials and what embodied carbon are we using uh, in the construction process? Uh, because that's where we need to be moving to uh, if we're serious about reducing temp worldwide temperatures to within the ranges that have been uh, desired. I, I think that the, the technologies are there in order to enable us to build uh, homes sustainably uh, and it just needs the regulation to to ensure that happens and it, it's one of those things about the, the construction industry says but it would force up the price of housing uh, but what forces up the price of housing is people's ability to borrow uh, on the financial markets and, uh, and there's no uh, parallel between the building cost and the full sale cost of a house and that's seen by the profits per unit that the person would make which is well in excess of uh, £70,000 a unit. You could reduce that down to £30,000 and produce every house zero carbon should you so wish. How much do you know about the green standards of your home? Have you had to install or reinstall some insulation? Let me know. You can get in touch with your comments or any other questions about home buying or selling on my website gavinhuman.co.uk where you can find my social media links. You can also subscribe to get my newsletter about new properties, my latest blog and this podcast, which you can subscribe to on Spotify, Apple, Google and wherever else you listen. Thank you so much to Carl Taylor for chatting about the work they do and providing an insight into greener building practices. You can find out more about their work at greensquareaccord.co.uk. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>